Yo, 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 what it do, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Ernie Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or are even told are possible. I'm your host, Zach Kanadi. Now, I hope all of you are going out kicking ass, earning good days every damn day of the week because y'all are some badass people who listen to this show. And I know you're doing that. I know you're kicking butt. And I know you're doing the hard work it requires to do that. Uh, today, we're actually going to be talking about a pretty big and pretty, mm, I guess it could be a pretty touchy topic for a lot of people because there's a lot of media going around this and lots of different opinions. And this one is kind of talking about Uh, solving a big problem in society and problems with society now i did talk about at the start of this podcast that some of the things we'd be talking about wouldn't just be you know personal development it wouldn't just be fitness or health related or you know research backed it would be excuse me it would be socially based and i think that is a critical thing to talk about and have discussion on for the fact that Every single one of us interacts with society on some level, whether it be in real life, face to face, person to person, over Zoom, you know, at your job, if you're working remotely from home, or whether it be what seems like everybody losing ridiculous amounts of time on social media. Uh, so, this is going to be a critical topic, but today we are talking about solving the macro social issues and how it starts on the micro level which is you and me and every single individual person involved in society. And I kind of want to preface it before we get too far into this discussion today in this episode that really it kind of just seems that whenever you go on to socials or whether you click on the news or whether you kind of, you know, see what's going on in the world, there's always another social issue going on. Right, and it's always something to be talked about, and there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and somebody who's being oppressed, or somebody who's being victimized, and there's the oppressor, the you know, the person who's wrong. It could be racism, you know, sexism, the war in Russia and Ukraine, Uh, it could be climate change, right? It could be abortion, it could be politics, it could be COVID. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what it is. Because there's always another one, right? It's like every single day. You know, there's just another one. And it sounds, if you just listen to the social narrative, that, whoopsies. um, If you're not in that group, you have to be the enemy and you have to hate that person. Or that person automatically has to hate you, right? If I'm white, or I am white... And I see a black person, I automatically have to think they hate me or that, you know, they automatically have to think I am oppressing them simply because of that, right? Like, that's what the social narrative is. You know, if I'm a man and I see a woman, the woman automatically is oppressed because we live in a patriarchy and not a matriarchy, right? Or, you know, somebody who chose to get the vaccine or somebody who chose to not get the vaccine, uh, 
the person who chose not to get the vaccine is a grandma killer and a menace to society and the person who chose to get it is a you know saint and can virtue signal and is super great of a person and you know both of these sides no matter what issue we talk about you have to hate the other and the other one has to hate you yet when you talk to people and you find out about them you learn that the vast majority of people are really good people and that they're just trying to figure it out just like you and me and that they want to prosper they want to live in a safe healthy world and they want to have an improvement in their life over time right and even when you talk about these really touchy really heavy issues there's very often a lack of hate and animosity between people we actually talk about them and I actually like this is something I actively try and do is I actively try and talk to people and bring up uh, I guess for lack of a better word, touchy, sensitive topics like the ones we're talking about now. Racism, abortion, politics, COVID, and, you know, climate change, you name it, whatever. Not because I want to be like an instigator of anything. That's actually the opposite. I want to, the main reason is I'm curious. What do other people think about these topics, right? Like, where do other people stand? Because I know where I stand, but I also know I'm one person and that I never know all the facts on anything and I always know that there's you know something that a lens that I haven't <clears throat> viewed or haven't thought of or haven't been able to think of it or you know facts that I just don't have that might alter the way I think about something and so I'm curious you know I want to learn because I've the better whole picture we can get the more conclusive and the more sure we can be in whatever stance we hold and I'm not here to tell you you should be on one stance or the other, aside from the stance I am saying is that we as a society need to figure out how to stop being so divisive and start coming together. We need to start figuring out how can I live with somebody who is different with me on X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 topics and still live with them. How can I still be friends with them? How can I still work with them and have a production relationship and not absolutely hate my life simply because Susie, uh, Susie Joe over there, you know, likes her Frappuccino iced and I like mine blended. How can we do that, right? And I think uh, I'd like to tell you guys a little story about two of my cohort mates that exemplify this exceedingly well and they're very different on a multitude of topics okay and we're gonna call one susan and one bob just to protect them and keep them out of this and now susan and bob do both happen to be white but one is a uh, conservative republican who is a very strong christian and has never had a drop of alcohol or a single drug in his life that would be bob and susan is a uh, bi-romantic liberal woman who drinks occasionally right and so if you look at the social narrative these two people should have a lot of animosity between them because one's very liberal one's very conservative 
and obviously liberals and conservatives can't be friends. One is a very straight Christian, and one is biromantic or bisexual, right? They should have animosity because ones <clears throat> because LGBTQ people can't be friends with straight heterosexual people and vice versa, right? And then there's not only all the intricacies, uh, not to mention all the intricacies of politics that play into that. But when you talk to these people and you interact with them, none of that hatred, none of that animosity is present. And what's even more interesting is almost on a daily basis, our conversations on subjects like the ones we're talking about, you know, sexual orientation, racism, uh, abortion, climate change, politics, almost every single day they come up and almost every single day these are deep respectful intellectual and I think the most important one curiosity driven conversations there is no hate there is no animosity nobody is trying to prove one party right or wrong the greatest thing is because these conversations are driven via curiosity, they don't seek to be right or wrong. They seek understanding. Bob seeks to understand Susan. Susan seeks to understand Bob. They don't attempt to change each other. They don't attempt to say one person is morally superior than the other. Right? They don't attempt to throw personal attacks at one another. In fact, they joke and they happen to be quite good friends. They sit together, they share meals together, they laugh and they joke together. And honestly, they're uh, very pleasant to be around because the conversations are quite hilarious. You know, they're taken lightheartedly. And I do understand that this isn't always possible, but I think. And I, in fact, I would be hard-pressed to believe that it wasn't possible, that this could not, that this could be reality for the vast majority of conversations like this. That the vast majority of conversations on extremely difficult and on extremely emotional topics could not be held civilly, could not be done between friends who are of differing opinions. I refuse to believe that that can't be a reality. But I also think we're not there right now. In fact, I know because if we were, I wouldn't be doing this episode. If we were, the social narrative wouldn't be that there must be hate and animosity between groups of differing opinions. That pro people of pro-life and pro-choice had to hate each other. <clears throat> it would be that people who are pro-life could understand people who are pro-choice and people who are pro-choice could understand that people are pro-life and that they could have a conversation about it in a civil manner put out their points and explain them concisely respectfully and then listen to the other side in a matter of seeking understanding not to attack the other person because their views are different than their own and obviously, if they're different, they're morally wrong. But to try and see where this other person is coming from to see, well, maybe are we really that different 
all in all? What do we really differ on? And are you as bad of a person as I'm told you are? Right? When I first went to school in Iowa, I had met people who had never seen a black person before. Now granted, Iowa is 93% white. There's bound to be a ton of cities where there are no people of color. There's bound to be a ton of cities where the only people who live in that and the surrounding towns are all white. It is a reality. And so when I would talk to these people, being a person who went to a school that was 50% minority, and I could see their hesitation, uh, especially around George Floyd, especially around other riots or race talks, right? That, especially when Trump was running for office and in office, that they were uncomfortable. And I would ask them, well, why? And they would say, I've never met a black person. It wasn't that they were inherently racist. It was the fact that the only knowledge of a person of color that they had was what the TV told them. And what the media will tell you is that every single black person is a gangbanger, raper, wife beater, and all the men leave their wives and every single black man is in prison, yet they're also all oppressed. And, you know, the government and white people are always trying to, you know, beat them down and not let them get up in society. And to this person, they've never seen a black person. You know, the only most images they've seen are um, mug shots of them on the news because there's a crime committed and they focus on low income areas, right? And then they also believe they have a little animosity because they're told that because they're white, they're automatically oppressors and racists. And so whenever they see a black person, they're kind of already on guard because all of their pre-existing knowledge is negative. Yet, once you talk to a person of color, a black person or a white person from rural Iowa, you realize that neither of those statements are true. The vast majority of black people are not gangbangers. They're good people, hardworking, and they want a good life. The vast majority of people from rural Iowa who are white are not racist. They're not oppressive. They simply work hard and want to be left alone, and they don't know anybody else from their little town. They just don't know, right? But until they have a conversation about it, they don't know. And here, that's the beautiful thing is because conversation fills in all the gaps that media doesn't because media is built on sound bites. Media is built on 15 second tapes. Look at everything between Trump and Joe Biden, or I think the most recent was Andrew Tate or the war on Russia or pro-life versus pro-choice, racism, right? Climate change. None of these things have context. There is no option to ask for clarification because maybe you, one word means one thing to you, but the person speaking means it in a different sense, right? And conversation is great because it, it provides that context. It provides a space for you to ask for clarity. And what's even better is it has a ripple effect. There is a future presence because of the preservation of the present. When you have a conversation with somebody about a topic like this, you're likely to think about it past when the conversation ends because it's a powerful topic, 
because it is a deep topic because it does move you emotionally to some degree. So if you have a very negative experience with somebody of who views something different than you, you're going to go into the next situation with somebody who's similar to that person and be on guard, right? Versus if you have a really good experience, you have a really good conversation. Let's think of Bob and Susan. You're going to go into the next conversation more at ease because your last one or your last several have not been hostile. They have not been dangerous. They have not been attacking. They have not been seemingly scary or where somebody was trying to belittle you or show dominance. Instead, they were come they came from a place of curiosity. They seeked sought to understand you rather than to prove you right or wrong. They did not try to press their beliefs onto you. And I can tell you Susan who is thankfully a very um, willing person to communicate about their lifestyle and their beliefs and what they've experienced was very hesitant to talk to Bob at first because they had had a lot of negative interactions with people who were similar to Bob. White, straight, conservative males from more rural Indiana. They'd had a lot of negative experiences. So when Susan and Bob first met, it was not all hunky-dory. They had to build a little bit of rapport. They had to establish a little bit of trust. But the great thing is, is that Susan's experience is changing. I can tell you, because now they start off conversations with jokes and roasting each other about the things that they're different about. Right? It's about their differences, and they are roasting each other about them, and they are both laughing hysterically. And when I first heard this, because it's, you know, I was still new and hadn't known, hadn't gotten to know either of them incredibly well yet, I was like, oh, this is what we're joking about, and did the awkward laugh <laughs> while they're just both over here rolling in laughter. One, uh, Bob almost freaking teared up. Like, he was laughing so hard. That's the power of what conversation is, right? It is not any single instance. It is the culmination of many instances that produces change. And especially with social movements, but with any change, we know this to be true. Look at fitness. Look at gaining strength. Look at graduating high school. How many assignments did you have to do from preschool till the day you graduated how many tests did you take how many grades were there well that depends on how many years of preschool i went to zach yeah no shit there's a lot of them minimum of 12 13 kindergarten first second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth all the way to graduation right it was never a oh i just showed up to school one day out of 18 year out of 12 years and then graduated no you showed up most days most of the year for 12 years or more and then you graduate and then what's even more crazy than that is most people go off to school again for four more years or longer that's crazy just to get a degree just to graduate from somewhere right just to then go get a job in their field 
Imagine going to school for like 20 freaking years if you're going to like to be a doctor. 20 years. Hell, you could already retire just from school before you even start your real career. <laughs> like, but the point is, it takes a lot of little steps, a lot of continuous action day in and day out over an extended period of time. Or it takes a lot of actions by a ton of people all at once to actually make anything change. And then still, because society is so resistant to change, because change is difficult no matter how good for you it is, it still takes a lot of things day in, day out, by this person, by that person, by these thousand people, by these number of millions of people, for these number of years. And oh, now, now we finally get some change. It takes time and consistent action, but it starts with individuals. We know this from the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was one man, but his I Had a Dream speech had over a quarter of a million at the Washington Monument, at the Abraham Lincoln Monument. Over a quarter of a million people came to listen to him, of all races, of all backgrounds, right? Women's suffrage, even earlier, was not just one woman pissed because she couldn't go to work and she didn't want to sit at home while her husband went to work. It was hundreds of thousands of millions of women speaking out, having conversations, going to rallies, telling their husbands to let them go to work by actually going to work and doing the rules even when they weren't supposed to. And it took years of it to happen. Some women died before they ever saw it come to fruition. That's how long. It took more than a generation, right? Civil rights, same thing. Slaves been free for over 100 years. I ain't close to 200. I'm bad at my history. But yet we're still dealing with race issues. It takes time and it takes continued action over a long time. But what can we as individuals do, right? Because if it takes so much action by so many people over such a long time, how can me, right, being just this lonely person, this individual person who's in a random apartment bedroom in the middle of Indianapolis, 12 hours from home, what the hell can I do? I'm fucking powerless, aren't I? Because I'm just one person. And my answer to you is no, you're not. In fact, you're actually the spark that's needed to get somebody else to do this, who will then spark somebody else, who now we have three people who will then spark six people, who those six people will then spark another 27, who will then spark 100, who will then spark 1,000, who will then spark 5 million. And you know what? Now we got enough people to do it. But it all started with you. And you might have to do it for a long time before you spark anybody else. But if you don't do it, who will? If you don't make the change, who will? Because obviously we know the government doesn't, right? Because by law, every single person is equal in damn near every single way. Whether, no matter your sexual orientation, everybody can get married, no matter your race. You can't fire anybody for being different as a person. For their race, disability, age, gender, sexual orientation, ethnicity, right? 
you can't hire, fire them for anything. It's illegal. Yet we still have issues. Why? Because individual people aren't doing their part. It starts with the individual. If we want to solve a macro problem, we have to start on the micro level. That means it starts with me, it starts with you, and it starts with every single individual person needing to decide to be a part of the solution, not the problem. We need people to decide to do something different, to actually change themselves, knowing they will have to put in an ex crazy amount of work for a crazy amount of time, accumulated, before anything actually changes, right? And I think there's kind of four main steps, and I'm gonna be honest, I'm not a social scientist, I am no expert, I'm frickly, frickin' a 24-year-old dude who's trying to figure it out, who wants to add value to the world, who wants to solve problems, and who's tired of other people not solving problems. So I'm trying to step up and be a spark so that somebody listening to this will spark somebody else and that we can actually get some fucking shit done. But what are the four steps? Number one is to be kind. Number two, focus on commonality rather than differences. Number three, get fucking tough. Number four, be excellent in everything you do. And I want to explain each of these just a little bit because I think it will add some much needed context to them. And they are quite connected to each other. And also, I think going from one to four is the easiest to implement and will cause the most immediate gains and the most immediate progress. So starting with number one of being kind, why is this the easiest to implement? One, well, you have the choice always and no matter what situation you're in. You can always choose to be kind. No matter how tough you're feeling, no matter how shitty of a day you had, you can actively choose to be kind. Doesn't matter if you're pissed. Doesn't matter if you just got fired. Doesn't matter if you just got promoted over a thousand people to being the vice president of sales or whatever, right? And you feel on top of the world and you beat out everybody so you think you're better than everybody. You can still choose to be kind. Always. And the, why is this important? Because you never know who you're dealing, what somebody you're dealing with is going through. You never know what kind of day they're having. You never know what kind of person they are. You never know what kind of past experience they've had. Maybe they're a person who's been abused their entire life. And so they view any sort of hostility or signs of aggression as an immediate threat to their life. And so they just shut down. Or maybe there's somebody who got yelled at as a kid or they got abused and they learned to defend themselves by fighting back. And so now you're going to be hostile towards them and they're going to beat the shit out of you. Or maybe they're having a rough day and they just found out that their, spice, or their spouse has stage four cancer and they're going to die. And so they're going through an incredibly tough period of time. Right? Be kind because you don't know what somebody is going through. And these are already tough enough problems. What if somebody lost a, a sibling to police brutality? I was just watch, I was just at the UND football game, and the day before there is 
uh, rally for a gentleman who was on the UND basketball team who had been shot because of police violence. And I listened to his sister speak. And I heard the pain in her voice. And I saw the tears roll down her cheeks. I have never seen this girl before in my life. She'd actually never been to UND before, except for that day. Because she lived too far away and she always dreamed she would come see her brother play basketball. But he was shot. He was dead. It happened over two years ago. And I could still hear and feel the pain in her voice. So what good is it going to do if me, especially being a white man, is aggressive towards her if we happen to have a conversation about racism or police brutality? It's not going to do any good. If anything, it's going to drive a wedge even further between people. It's going to cause somebody who's experienced police brutality more pain. Doesn't matter how I view it. I could be totally in agreement with them, but if I'm aggressive, it's going to hurt. I am. police. I am in agreement, by the way. Police brutality should not be tolerated. Police need to hold more police accountable. We need to give them better training and hold them to higher standards, and it needs to be stopped. We need to weed out the bad eggs. It needs to be a zero-tolerance thing. It just does. Or abortion. What about somebody who got raped and you're pro-life and you think that under all circumstances somebody should have to carry a child and yet you're going to come talk to a woman who is carrying a child who's been raped once again abortion because it was the worst day of her life and you're going to call her a piece of shit and a whore because you just see that she's pregnant going to get an abortion. You don't see a broken woman who got raped and abused. Be kind because you don't know what the person is going through or what kind of day or life they've had. And you could be the difference that they don't hate somebody who's different than them or that they don't hate somebody who has a different opinion than them simply by choosing to be kind. Number two, focus on commonality, not differences. Guys, we are more common and more alike to every single human on this planet than we are different. And I don't care what you tell me or I don't care how many differences you list off. I recognize that yes, we are all incredibly unique and we all need to value and cherish our uniqueness because that is what makes you, you. But if you get down far enough, at the end of the day, we're all people and everybody bleeds red and everybody's gonna die. And what's crazy is we can actually get this onto a biological level. I'm talking about genetics. So I'll throw out a couple numbers for you to just show you how similar we are to each other. I'm going to start with mushrooms. We are 50% identical to mushrooms. So that mushroom that you eat, right, with your grilled steak and sauteed mushrooms and onions, yeah. 50% identical. That means every other base pair nucleotide, which is the most basic unit in DNA, the building block, right, is the exact same as yours. 
a mushroom. It's inanimate, it's a plant, and it's a fungi. And you're 50% identical. Fish. They have gills. Can't live out of water. You are 70% identical. So those slimy, scaly things that swim in lakes, oceans, and streams. Every 7 out of 10 base pairs between that fish, any fish in the world, and you and me is the exact same. 7 out of 10. Well, okay, let's get a little bit closer. What about chimpanzees, like monkeys and shit, right? How we can't, yes, all right, we're pretty similar to them. Well, how similar? 99% identical. That means out of every 1,000 base pairs, there's only 10 of them that are different from chimps to you and me. So that means... Out of every single chimp, I am 99% identical with. Okay, Zach, well, yeah, but those are chimps, all right? And I get it. That's a lot. But what about humans? How similar are we? All right, what are we, 99.1%? No, higher than that. We are basically identical on almost every single level genetically. We are 99.9% identical. That means out of every 1,000 base pairs, there is only a single base pair that is different between me and every single human on this planet. Only one. That is it. Otherwise, the other 999 are the same. So we are the same. We are more common than we are different. Okay? Bob and Susan laugh about their differences because they have found commonality in them. They have found that the social narrative is wrong. They do not have to hate each other. In fact, they get along great as friends, and they both think each other are great people. They are very similar. They focus on the commonalities over their differences, and it has led to a thriving friendship. And also, it goes without being said, but I'm going to say it anyways, the old adage of united we stand, divided we fall. Well, guys, we are all freaking divided to high hell right now. And I don't know about you, but it seems like whatever powers at be there are, whether intentional or not, I don't know. I don't freaking care. But it seems like they're trying to divide us further. It seems like there's always another social narrative, another social problem to separate us, right? There's always another reason to divide us into smaller and smaller and smaller groups and camps. And I don't know about you, but if you look at the state of the world, it's kind of gone to shit the last couple of years. And yes, that's partly been COVID. And yes, that's partly been a whole lot of other factors. But frankly, it doesn't seem to be getting better. Gas price is still high. Groceries are still incredibly high. There's still lots of violence and uh, portrayed hatred around the world. And because there's so much hatred, people react with hatred instead of grace and kindness. Okay, and the third one is get tough. Get tougher. Stop being so fucking sensitive. Because just because somebody said something... <laughs> 
doesn't mean it means a damn thing. Just because somebody said a bad word or because they made a disparaging comment doesn't mean you have to take it personal. What about the old elementary school saying, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks onto you. Be rubber. Don't let things stick to you. Don't let them land. Because in all reality, the only value that somebody else's words have are is that that you give it. So if somebody's words hurt you, you let them. doesn't matter how foul, how foul and vile those words are and how much hatred that person intended to have in them. If you are bothered by them, it is because you let them. It is because you let them land and it is because you let words hurt you. You let it. Get tough. Get a thicker skin. Toughen up. Because you know what? What if that person's just pissed? What if they just got fired and they had a bad day and you just happen to be the right person at the right time for them to blow off some steam and you know what? You're just a little bit different than them. And so they're going to go along with what they're told they should and act with hatred towards you. But what if you met them on a different day and they're actually totally a pleasant person to be around? Hmm? What if? Get tough so you can give some grace. Toughen up and because mama ain't raised no bitch. All right? That's number three. Number four, be excellent in everything you do. All areas of life. And the reason being is because part of excellence is helping other people. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you've experienced. If you want to be truly excellent, you cannot do it alone. It's impossible. If you want to be an excellent artist, you must look to others to see uh, their style. Right? If you want to be an excellent athlete, you must listen to your coaches to, so that they can correct you and show you how to get better. If you want to be an excellent student, you must read the material your professors give you. If you want to be an excellent employee, you must do what your boss asks you. and You must do it to the best of your ability. But to be excellent, while it requires others, is an individual venture. Because we all know somebody who does the same job as you, but they do it haphazardly, half-assed, lazily. And their work shows, their fruit, the fruit of their labor shows it. They are not excellent. And then what? Their life isn't where they want it to be, and they're bitter, and they're angry, and they're sad, and maybe they're broke, and their life is harder than what it should be. And because they're dealing with so much personally, they now take that frustration, that anger, that angst out on others. And they perpetuate the social problems. They perpetuate racism. They perpetuate sexism. They tell somebody who decides to still wear a mask an idiot because COVID's over. Or they tell somebody who didn't get the vaccine, you're a grandma killer. Right? Because the reason being excellent is so important is because it makes you better. And also, it is the hardest one, but it produces the most fruit. 
because when you're excellent, you don't have time to care about differences between you and somebody else. You don't have time to let somebody's meaningless words hurt you. You have a mission to go on. You are trying to build something. And to be excellent means to truly be excellent, you must benefit society. LeBron James is excellent, right? And the reason he is so excellent and his excellence is in such demand is because it provides entertainment when people watch the NBA. The reason Kobe's excellence was so great was because it inspired other kids and other people to be excellent with the Mamba mentality, right? The reason why um, Martin Luther King's excellence is so important is because it inspired and it helped lead the social rights movement, okay? Being excellent is contagious. When you are the best version of yourself, other people see that and will also try to be better themselves. They will not be perfect. You will not be perfect. But <clears throat> with continued effort and intention and focus and intentionality, you can be better. And the people around you will then be better because excellence is contagious, right? When you're an excellent person, you're not an asshole. When you're an excellent person, you try and lift others up, okay? You benefit somebody who is less fortunate than you because that is what excellence in all areas is. It is doing your best at all times, even when it is hard. In fact, especially when it is hard, okay? And that is so important because we fail most often when things are hard, when we're having a bad day, when we lost our job, when we got some bad news, when we woke up and just feel like shit. That's when we fail, and that's when we we perpetuate the issues because we are not perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. I have done things and said things I'm not proud of that have made some issues worse. Okay, People have interacted with me and not been better off afterwards because I was not being excellent in the moment. And this one is the hardest to do. Because it asks the most of you individually. But I think it will also produce over time the greatest amount of fruit. Because your excellence will be the spark for somebody else's. Who will then be the spark for another person's. And your excellence in being respectful to people and seeking out understanding rather than correctness. And coming from a place of curiosity to be a more excellent person so you can learn. You can then build a community with those values. You can then build, have a family that exudes those values. Then your neighborhood can do it. Then your community can do it. Then your state can do it. And then lo and behold, we'll get a couple other states to do it. And then boom, the country is doing it. It might be the generation after me. It might be my grandkids' generation. But if I don't start and if people my age and people who are alive right now don't start, it will never happen we must start with ourselves we must do it first because if not us then who if we don't start then who will if we are not being kind focusing on the commonality versus the difference if we are not getting tougher and if we are not trying to be excellent ourselves then who will because if we don't these problems will perpetuate and if anything they will get worse
worse, not better. It is up to us, you and me, and the ripple effect that our actions have to those around us will determine whether or not we make any progress on these issues. So with that, guys, my call to action to you is quite simple. Follow these four steps. Be kind always because you never know what the other person is going through. Focus on the commonality, not your differences, because you are far more common with every single person alive than you are different. 99.9% identical. Get tough because mama ain't raised no bitch and you're stronger than that. You're better than that. And be excellent in every area of your life because you owe it to the world and the world needs your excellence. With that, guys, I hope you follow these steps. I'm going to be, I try my best to. I'm not perfect, but I do my best. Go out, follow these steps. Leave the world a better place than we found it. And most importantly, y'all, earn a good day. Thank you.